Hello and welcome to A Cast of Entrepreneurs, brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Forum. I'm Elaine Stroud, Chief Executive of the Entrepreneurs Forum, and together with Sally Cowling, our Head of Marketing, we've been talking to entrepreneurs from all over the Northeast about what it's really like to be an entrepreneur. We're getting the real insight into their lives and businesses. I'm really pleased with our cast today, and I'd like to introduce you all to them. First up, we have Chris Peacock from Peacock's Medical Group. Good afternoon, Chris. Afternoon. And sitting next to Chris today, we have our Scale Up Leaders Academy coach, the fantastic Ian Kennery. Good afternoon, Ian. Afternoon. I'm very pleased you're here. I'm looking forward me, to me, me asking the questions to you for once. Get your own way. Correct. And wait and see. And finally, last but not least, we have the wonderful Mo Brown from Sullivan Brown and also your new business, which we'll talk about a little bit, which is called My Say. Hi. Uh, well, welcome all of you. We're going to kick this off as we always do by going back in time. So cast yourselves back to when you were mere youngsters. I know it's obviously not very long ago, but when you were a youngster and at school, let's start by asking, did you feel that you were always going to end up running your own business? And we'll start with Chris. No, basically. Um, I was ill as a child, so I had cancer when I was young and uh, always felt like I was on catch-up. So I think it was a bit of a struggle at school. Uh, And when I went to university, I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to be. There was a small family business back at home, but I really didn't want to do that at all. And so I ended up in uh, actually French aerospace and and doing that and traveling the world. So uh, my early career really wasn't uh, focused on uh, setting it myself. So at what point did you transfer from, I mean, aerospace to what you're doing now? It's quite a step. So at what point did you make that transition in your head that actually I do want to set up Peacocks? As I say, that I was was in the uh, family business and uh, it was just not what I wanted to do. And so I was living in Florida, actually, believe it or not, as a skydiving instructor. And uh, I was uh, jumping out of planes for a living and servicing and working in the aerospace industry and had been there for uh, just under a year, really. And my father phoned up and said, I think I'm going to get rid of the business. I've got somebody that's quite interested in it. You know, I'm just letting you know in case you've got any interest. And whatever happened at that point in time, I said, you know what, I'll come back and I'll I'll have a go. Was jumping out of planes not exciting <laughs> enough for you? <laughs> I don't know. I think I must have been the, in a crossroads of my life. Not that I knew it, um, and neither did my girlfriend at the time. Uh, she wasn't that pleased that we were heading back to the UK, and um, so uh, that didn't last very long. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I basically turned up in this company I had not a lot of, not that much knowledge of, and uh, and, and set set away trying to revolutionise it, and uh, well. It's, it's grown into the into the thing it is now. So going back to you landed in the northeast yeah. from Florida. I'm guessing the weather wasn't quite so warm. Yeah, was was there a point in time where you thought, "What the hell have I done?" About three steps down the aircraft, I recall, because uh, it was actually sleeting, and I'd just come from sort of 27 degrees in Florida. Um, so, but yeah, I think you you know you make these decisions and you and you go out. And you make the best, best of them. And I thought with the, the limited experience I had in business and in life, I could, you know, make this business spectacular in a few years. Took a bit longer than that, but... Uh, uh, it's pretty spectacular now. So in that first month, when you suddenly had the keys and you're in the office by yourself, what was that first month like? Well, it was pretty lonely <laughs> because I wasn't really sure what I was going to do and how it was going to work. And so you just started on the way up. So, and I think that's probably set me in good set, 
uh, steps for my life, really, because actually, you, you know, you had to sweep the floors and count the goods and lock the doors and uh, move up. So uh, it's been it's been interesting, but it's taken time. And uh, now now we're at a scale that's uh, really kind of where I imagined that had been many years, you know, <laughs> several decades ago. So it was a family business, Chris, that you walked into when you yeah. came back. So yeah, was how was that working with family? So actually, that was easy because I got on well with my dad and he supported me um, and he let me make make my mistakes. But, you know, I wanted to change it. I, want, I didn't want it to be just the same. I wanted it to be something that made him proud of me and made me proud of me. And I wanted to make it something spectacular that I could say, well, look what I've done. And, I, you know, thankful that I've managed to, managed to do that in the last few years. And, you know, it's it's meant a lot to him and, and to me. And did he stick around when you came back or did he, uh, he did exit a, at that point? No, he did, for, he, did, he did for a fair bit, really. Mm. And uh, he's always interested. Uh, he was a clinician, actually. So he wasn't, you know, he ran a business, but from a clinical perspective, whereas I did a business degree and looked at it at a completely different angle. And uh, so, you know, it's a combination of both now. <laughs> so, Chris, for the people who don't know you so well in the audience, tell us a little bit about the business now um, and the scale of it. Yeah, so essentially we provide medical devices and services in one of the businesses. The other company looks at sterile services, uh, washer disinfectors and sterilizers for uh, hospital decontamination. Uh, and the business I spun out last year, uh, it looks at recycling uh, hospital uh, waste, essentially, so that it can be made into useful items used around the NHS and uh, help with the circular economy. And uh, that's taken off spectacularly in the last couple of years, basically. And how many people do you employ? Uh, so we've got about 180 people now, and we grew 60% last year, which is quite... Uh, <laughs> Quite a quite a thing to manage, and uh, our turnover is about twenty million now. So it grew from twelve to twenty last year. I think we'll come back to some questions on that scaling <laughs> journey, and I think Ian may have some questions for you, knowing his skill set. So moving on to you, Ian, you started your career in the motor industry before you set up your own coaching business. At what point did you decide? I've, I've had enough of working for a large corporate. I want to work for myself. How did that sort of mental process work for you? You know, when I was a kid, I was absolutely convinced I was going to be running a business. I didn't know what business. My dad was in business, so I guess for me it was it was just natural. The only problem was that my dad died when I was 14. So by the time I got out of education, the business wasn't there. So, you know, there was never any doubt and it was interesting that you asked that question because I hadn't really thought about it until you asked Chris that question. There was never any doubt that I was going to be running a business. So I came out of uh, education and needed to get a job. I fell into the motor trade, literally. But that wasn't, that was just the way things worked out. But I was lucky I became a graduate management trainee. So I learned, I learned the skill, the, the, the methodology of management and by I was 29, I was managing director of a, a big business. I'd have to move to Birmingham in order to do that. So I progressed through the motor industry really in a, in a very, very rapid fashion. Ended up buying my own business. So I had my own business in the motor trade, which nearly killed me. Went back to working for other people. And it was because it nearly killed me that at some point I thought I need to do something 
different. Well, actually, that's not quite true. That's not wholly true. I got really fed up with, because there are some aspects of the motor trade which are brilliant. There are other aspects which are just horrendous. You know, the, the, the standard of management and leadership, I don't know what it's like now, but it was pretty poor. And I went from a great place to a poor place, came home at Christmas and thought, I'm not going back there. And then I ended up as a coach, which, again, is something that I literally just fell into. It's interesting you said I ended up as a coach, and that sort of infers to me that that wasn't an intentional path, but it's actually worked out quite well for you. Well, let let me tell you, I, I was sat at home and I thought, well... I can just get a job running a dealership anywhere and make, make decent money. And a, a guy that used to work for me rang me up, and I swear, he said, Ian, you've got to come to this franchise exhibition. He said, you can't work for anybody else. Now, the guy had worked for me twice, so I still don't know whether that was a compliment or not. <laughs> I'll keep it short, but I went to this franchise exhibition. I thought it was going to be a waste of time. And therefore, it it appeared to be a waste of time. And I literally fell. I turned on my heel to go and get a coffee, fell into a stand. And I'm I'm not a small guy, so that was fairly embarrassing. I thought I'd better make conversation to cover up my embarrassment. What do you do? Oh, we're business coaches. And I'm thinking, this is rubbish. Literally, a couple of weeks later, they sent me some stuff. Given that experience that I'd had just before that, they sent me some written stuff. And I thought... I could have written this. I should have written this. In fact, I would have written this given a bit more time. And that's how I fell into coaching. And as a coach, I wish I could say, look, I planned it out. I knew this was the route for me, but I didn't. I fell into it. And it just turned out that I fell into something that I just get a huge amount. I'm I'm good at it, I hope. uh, And I get a huge amount of pleasure out of it. It wasn't planned, but... but, um, it was an inevitable consequence of, of everything that had gone before, I think. It's interesting because both you and Chris Ian said that you had parents who were perhaps role models because they were working as entrepreneurs in their own right. Yeah, so you've no, had those right. all around you. Mo, uh, did you have anyone around you? You're shaking your head. Um, so you didn't, that's telling me, no. you didn't have anyone in your family or your immediate family circle that was running their own business. Mm-hmm. So for you, did you feel that as a child that you were always going to end up running your own business? Or was it something that you decided to do from working in corporate and thinking, actually, I could do this for myself? I definitely didn't think I'd be running my own business um, when I was a grown-up. But um, actually, looking back on it, I think I probably should have. And I think had I had some inspiration around me, some people that I knew that ran businesses, I probably would have recognised that that should have been for me. I actually wanted to be in the police, So um, I was quite sporty. I was quite a people person. Um, My background was a little bit odd. My my mum died when I was seven. I went to live with my auntie and uncle because my dad was working all of the hours. God sent, he he was a really hard worker. He was a really clever man. But in the time that he was growing up, you know, he ended up as an industrial chemist. So he was on site a lot, um, you know, working in these different businesses. So everyone around me was really hardworking, but nobody was entrepreneurial. In fact, my dad is absolutely risk averse and has told me not to make every move that I've made so far. (laughs) 
um, in my life, <laughs> um, other than having his grandchildren, Richard. Um, so I went to university, probably wasn't clever enough to be there, if I'm totally honest. I went because they told me I couldn't. I wasn't clever enough, so I made sure that I went. Did a degree in business, which was pretty generic. And my goal was to go into the police on the graduate recruitment scheme. That was all I ever wanted to do. Um, and it turns out I can't do enough press-ups. <laughs> So um, I went through the Merseyside Police Physical and, and got through everything, but can't do enough press-ups. And at the time, you had to press everything individually. So it didn't matter that I could do loads of sit-ups. <laughs> so um, I wasn't really quite sure what to do. So I ended up selling loans over the phone and hated it, but did it for a couple of years and then just fell into recruitment. You know, you fall into something and worked for other recruitment businesses for 16 years. And I think really it was the fact that there was an element of, I, I think I can do this differently, not better, I wouldn't say, because I was working for successful businesses. You know, these people knew how to run a recruitment business, but I think I fell out of love with the culture of recruitment businesses. And that was partly to do with my approach to people management, but also due to the fact that I had two children and recruitment just was not an industry where you could see your children and work. It was kind of frowned upon. I had female bosses who would say to me, well, I never saw my children when I was building this business. And I was like, okay, well, I think I'd quite like to see mine though. And also this isn't my business. So in the end, it was actually the pressure of being a working parent that forced me almost into the decision to set up my own business. And I was just going to be a one woman band working from home, filling enough jobs to pay the mortgage and go on holiday. And then that turned out that that wasn't me. And then when I look back, I realized I should have seen that all along, that that wasn't me. Because right back when I was in school, we did the Young Entrepreneurs Program, you know, yep. that the, the they do in schools. We did that and we had a business selling potpourri baskets. It was called Fancy That. I can still remember it. And I was, <laughs> I took over the running <laughs> young enterprise company and when I think back I mean it was awful I had them all working in my bedroom making signs for this stand we were going to the, the Arndale Centre in Manchester we, we were going to have a stall and I was like we're going to have the best stall it's going to be brilliant we're going to sell loads of things and I got such a kick out of it and I really when I look back I just should have done this so much sooner I'm annoyed with myself that I left it so long yeah and maybe you didn't have people around you saying you're quite good at this this could be thing. something that you could do yeah and, and I think sometimes in schools we don't teach kids or make them aware that being an entrepreneur is a career option for them. And maybe there's a role for us as leaders and owners of businesses to get out there and spread the word of what career options you could be, that it's not just a teacher or in the police. Yeah. And there's other things that you could do. Yeah. So in your business, Mo, you, have you kind of gone against the grain in terms of the businesses that you worked in before? Have you kind of decided, I'm not going to do it that way? I'm going to build my own culture and, and do it the way I want to do it. Absolutely. I think um, I just didn't see why we were doing that to people who were really good and wanted to work very hard. It was, you know, you're in at eight o'clock to start to half past eight. You don't leave till six. You don't leave before the boss leaves. And, you know, you have to have conversations with clients to get this money that you don't feel comfortable with. It was, it was for me, a very uncomfortable place to be. So we've been hybrid since before hybrid was a thing since before COVID, you know, my team, they can work from home. They can work in the office. They can work from a coffee shop. I don't really mind. They can take a couple of hours out. One of my team is a, a really keen open water swimmer. That's what she does. You know, she, she loves it um, for her mental health and everything else. Well, she can't do that after work in the winter. It's pitch black. So she wants to go and do it at two o'clock in the afternoon, but then arrange her interviews or speak to her candidates in the evening. That's fine. It works brilliantly in our business, actually. So and why are we forcing people not to spend time with their families and not sit down and have dinner with them because 
you're not home from the office. It just didn't make sense to me. So very deliberately, I didn't. And also, as the the owner of a small business, because, you know, we were small, we are small, you've got a lot to do. There's, there's a lot on, you know? So counting people's holidays and checking pe- what hours people are working, I don't need that. I just don't need that stress. Having said that, it doesn't all run smoothly. Some people work really well in that environment. Some people don't. But yeah, absolutely. I just didn't want to be that. It wasn't for me at all. Yeah, it's interesting that you kind of, in in some ways, you've moved away from what you didn't want to do and you built something that you want to do. Do you feel that you did that, Chris? You moved from skydiving to another business. I'm not sure there's <laughs> many similarities. I, I wonder if I hadn't taken that phone call, whether I'd be living in America yeah, that's making interesting. planes and, uh, and, and living a completely different life, you know? I think. Uh, do you think you would have set up your own thing? I would imagine so. I mean, the, the thing is that... I, I, you know, I wake up and I want to do stuff. <laughs> I can't, I can't not, you know, I've, I've tried to sort of take a back seat in, in various enterprises and you just, I, you know, I just got that energy to keep going, tempering slightly in age now, but, uh, you know, there's still that kind of, I think I would, whatever I was going to do, I was determined to be a success. That's the top and bottom of it. I was the absolute, you know, that's what drives me and I, I, if you ask me to define what success is, I have no idea what, actually what that is. But I'm, I'm still still going for it. And you've recently launched a new business as well, so you kind of you, it doesn't sound like you're slowing down. I like to look at sort of world problems, you know, not on an Elon Musk scale, <laughs> but uh, you know, like the the the, la- the latest business looks at the problem of uh, recycling hospital waste, and there's so much goes into the landfill and it gets burnt. It goes up into the air and pollutes and, you know, you've got no idea what these plastics and things that are in the soil are actually doing um, to the environment long term. So we, we came up with a, a solution that made these things safe so they could be recycled. And uh, that's rapidly grown. And it's you know, one of the reasons our turnover has gone exponential. So uh, because it, it meets something that nobody's necessarily thought about. So that's really interesting. And I'd quite like to explore a little bit about scaling. And yeah. some of the challenges, you're all smiling now, the challenges about scaling a business. And I'll start with Ian, because Ian, you work with a number of businesses, and that's what you specialize in, helping yeah. entrepreneurs in that scaling journey. From your experience, what are the, um, I guess, the main challenges that people face if they're embarking on that scaling? How long have you got? <laughs> I, I mean, the, 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 the simplest answer I can give you is that when you scale a business, everything changes. Literally everything changes. And you've heard it before. The example I give is if, if there's just you and I, there's two people and there's two relationships. If Mo joins, there's now three people. It's only gone up by one, but there are now six relationships. If uh, Chris joins us, there's now four people. There's 12 relationships. So although it seems to increase just one by one in a linear fashion, the complication is exponential. And it's not really about the people, it's about every aspect of the business. So very simply, what works in a small business won't work in a big business. It can't. So a big part of it is understanding how to really simplify that complexity that comes with with growth. Yes, and Chris, for you, you've scaled at various different points in your journey, but you were telling us earlier that in the last 12 months, you've 
at, grown by is it sixty percent? Sixty percent. I mean, that's yeah. really impressive. So well done on that. Yeah. Well, in that last twelve months, what have been the biggest challenges that you've had to face, and how have you overcome them? Well, I think we've had ideas have been big for a while. <laughs> you know, just might not have happened uh, as quickly as we imagined. So. You know, we had been recruiting key people into the business that had been in bigger businesses. We, you know, had a sort of a basic infrastructure, but yeah, I mean, nothing quite prepares you for sort of scale of, of that size. And I think you're right. There's a lot um, to do with working, you know, team culture. And thankfully, I've got a fantastic board of directors um, that have been with a, with the company now for many years, and they've been great. They, were, they got us through COVID. We're, We've got probably a 50-50 split of men and women. And I think that that was a decision I made probably about seven or eight years ago that we needed a balance on the board. And I think that brought a, a great amount of emotional intelligence into the business. So we were, we were in essence, ready for COVID. I know nobody was, but we were, we, were, we were able to ride the storm on that. And so I think actually we've got real good understanding of the people that work for us. You so mentioned culture there. So how do you protect that culture from growing from a medium-sized team to quite a large team that you have now? How have you managed to protect the culture? I think it changes, you know, it adapts and it changes. So I don't, you know, if you took the culture of my uh, father, people would run and open the door for him and call him sir and stuff. <laughs> and so, uh, I, you know, when I first came in the business, I used to run ahead of people and open the door for them because I really didn't want, <laughs> I didn't need anybody calling me sir. So, you know, you kind of, you, you, you incorporate incorporate how you feel in the business. And you know, I like to have fun. I like the, the directors to have a light attitude. But at the same time, there was somebody... And I can't remember who it was. It was an entrepreneurs forum um, conference, and they said, "Be savage on the subject, but kind to the person." I, I wish I knew. I wish I could remember who it was. But essentially, it was: it could be really hard on the process. Be nice, nice to the person, even if they make a make a mess of it. You can you can talk about the process and why that hasn't worked, as opposed to saying you have done this. And actually, it's using using things like that where you're not. There's not a blame culture. You and so I think COVID helped greatly for that mindset that you can do anything, you can adapt your business to anything. So the growth actually hasn't been as hard as I imagined. I mean, don't get me wrong, we've worked a lot of hours and there's been a hell of a lot of work on infrastructure. But I think if you've got a good culture, it makes life a lot easier. Okay, would you agree in that getting the culture right in that scaling journey is fundamental? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting that I've just been working with a, a business this morning and it's it's changed because a couple of years ago, the founder um, sold it to his daughter. Not dissimilar to your story because her methodology, her view of the world is very different to her dad's. And so a new culture is developing and you can see the guys in the business and they are all guys. It's a very, it's an old fashioned construction type business they're struggling to adapt to it but interestingly you mentioned emotional intelligence and the the one ingredient that she's been able to bring in her own bag of tools if you like is emotional intelligence and that was probably never there before and you can see the change in that and i'll also just back up what 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 you said chris i i Personally, and I always worked and ran what I call macho businesses, 
predominantly male businesses. And I know from my own experience that that changing the mix, having it more uh, more equal in terms of gender, what a difference that can make. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I think I, I I think probably I wasted five years of employing sales directors who could tell me everything I wanted to hear and then blame everybody else for why it hadn't happened. And that's part of the culture. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we haven't got those, you know, they've moved on, let's say. Um, and as I say, that was it was one of the reasons I started to really seriously look at how we could recruit excellent women into the into these high-powered roles. And by God, it's made a huge difference yeah. and it's been great. Recruit for attitude and train for skills. Exactly. That's and exactly what we did. <laughs> Mo, as, you, as your business has grown, have you, has the culture evolved with it? Yeah, I mean, we're nowhere near the size of Chris's business, but I think we've noticed the challenges. You know, when, when you start a small business and you're recruiting people that you know, and, and the culture is all about you, really, isn't it? Yes, it's of course. Yeah, and, absolutely. and then you bring people in maybe that haven't worked in recruitment before or haven't worked with you before. Even that is challenging, even when you're small, because they don't know you. So they don't get you in the same way that other people do. And we've actually just had to do a piece of work about revisiting our company values, but what they mean for us internally. So we we get together every quarter as a team and we sat down and went through and kind of illustrated how those values live out within us and how we speak to each other. And we spoke a lot and actually I heard it in the last Entrepreneurs Forum podcast um, about a culture of positive intent. And if you can foster a culture of positive intent, it's much easier to have honest conversations because people understand that, but we're human. We're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to say the the right thing. We're just not, you know, we we have flaws. But if you have a culture of positive intent, there's forgiveness around those mistakes that you make because as a leader, we're never going to get it all right, are we? Especially as we're growing, especially as we're changing. Nor should we be expected to. Well, how can we? You know, we're just human beings at the end of the day. So the culture has changed there. I mean, you know, we are going through a stage now where we're having to make a step change as a business because it's no longer just you know, three working ones wanting to go on holiday. You know, we've got ambition now about where we want to go and we've launched another business and you just have to be a bit more driven about that. So actually, we're probably facing the challenge that you would face, but the opposite way round. We have emotional intelligence in absolute pockets. How much of it do you want? I've got loads of it. I can give you some. But when it comes to ambition and steely focus and consistency, we're not as strong and we're having to work really hard on that. So... You know, it, it's, there's no ideal, is there, really? Not really, no, I think. And, and you're right. You've got to have a good mix yeah. of people who are driving um, and nurturing. Um, and if you, if you can get it all together. And it's a, you know, people move on and then you've got to change. And then bring, yeah. as, you, as you were talking about before, Definitely as soon as you bring in a different director, they have a, you know, everything changes at that point. Mm. Um, and, you know, you, you try and amalgamate and um, i was going to say earlier but you know you need some you need people to say no to you as well because you know i i i'll come, I'll come up with all these ideas and they've, they've led us astray every so often and you need somebody on the board that goes oh, i don't think that's a you know i don't really think that's a good idea we've just engaged with a um a business advisor who has scaled and sold his own recruitment business in fact he was the boss of one of the people in my team and i've done that because he scares me a bit 
and he's going to hold me to account. And if I go to a meeting and I've not done the things that I've said I would do, or he catches me out on something, I'll come away thinking, right, well, I won't let that happen again. Or, you know, I've got to go away and improve that. And that's really great to have someone yeah. that, that scares you a bit, to be honest, that you feel that, you know, you, you've got to answer to because it drives you. Is that someone external to your business then, Mo? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. And I, I, over time... I've used different coaches for different things and, and, you know, he's good for having been there, done it, got the t-shirt. So he, he kind of tells us where we're going wrong and what we need to do about it. He also points out what we do well, but that's really useful. So let's talk about mentoring because at the Entrepreneurs Forum, mentoring is like within our blood. It's what we do. And we love connecting people to the right mentor at the right time. I'm interested to find out if you each individually have used, I mean, you've just talked about one individual, but do you use mentors and have you used mentors throughout your career so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes. Um, I think there's been various stages of, of, of my uh, career where I've sought advice um, and uh, and talk to people at the Entrepreneurs Forum, and there's been some no- notable moments where I've needed real, real help, and that's been excellent. And uh, you know, I'm doing vice versa now, mentoring other companies as well, um, both formally and informally, uh, just to keep on the straight and narrow. Uh, I think I've probably gone down most of the pitfalls of <laughs> running a business, so I've got a bit of experience now. Well, it's quite nice. Do you find it? Um you know, rewarding, giving back that advice and helping others not to make perhaps some of the pitfalls that you've made yourself. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, everybody's journey is personal and uh, and it's quite lonely at the top as, a, as an entrepreneur, unless you've got people with equity in your business, then you, there's never a, you know, there's always a, them, and, them and you. Um, uh, and so it's great to, it's great to have people that you can talk to. I think mental health in business is talked about a lot more. Uh, and entrepreneurs, you know, they're, they're the lead, you know, figurehead of the businesses. You need to talk to people. You need to, you know, say when things are good and when things are bad. Uh, you don't want to necessarily go home and tell your partner every time you're, you're worried about something. It <laughs> doesn't make, make for a necessary healthy situation at home. <laughs> so, no, I think you've got to talk to people. I, I just say, you know, let's say to a few entrepreneurs who go through difficulties, you talk and walk, you know, just go and walk along the beach with somebody and get it out. And, uh, that, you know, sometimes that's better than sitting in. And I think that's great. Sometimes it doesn't have to be in a formal meeting room. It no. could be wherever is going to be a safe space for you to open up and have that conversation. Exactly. Yeah. It might be open water swimming for your friend or um, <laughs> hopefully not yeah. jumping out of plane. She won't be getting me in a nice men. cold lake mentoring or coaching at any particular time. <laughs> you will just sit there with a megaphone and decide. Our paddleboard's going to be okay. <laughs> um, and Ian, you, you do a lot of mentoring for other people, but have you used mentors for your own business and your own self your, your own mentors and, and coaches and i differentiate and okay, give us an explanation as to what's what well in, in my world i suppose the, the more technical answer would be mentoring would be the equivalent of sitting at the feet of your granddad and and learning from him what he's learned coaching is a is a professional process by which we improve people's performance so Kind of two ends, similar, but two ends of the spectrum. And to answer your question, yeah, I use both. I've got, I've got um, lots of people in the coaching profession who will act as mentors, and I'm part of a, a couple of communities. You know, the, the the scaling up coaches who I'm going to meet in October in America is 
that that's a form of mentoring. It's um, and I'm a member of the uh, Association for Coaching, so mentoring comes that way. Mentoring in life comes from a lot of the people that I meet through the Entrepreneurs Forum. I, I think of Alistair Waite, and Alistair and I used to meet regularly, less so since COVID, less so since his move. But that is really important to me. In terms of coaches, yeah, I work and I, I pay for coaches and have done not all the way through the last 20 years, but certainly regularly. Because if I believe in it, why would I not do it? Yeah, fair enough. Where do you get your inspiration from? Well, <laughs> there was just a couple of stories when I was uh, younger in the entrepreneur's form. Great. Uh, I'm loving all of these yeah, drugs yeah. for the entrepreneur's There was just sort of key things. Remember, I had, uh, people might remember Simon uh, Heppenstall from Story Court Carpets was one of the speakers one, uh, one of the years. And he literally sold the business that morning and he stood up and said, you know, sold my business uh, he sold it for 20 million back in, I don't know, 2007 or something. So he did pretty well. Um, and, you know, it was like kind of, there was a vibe. Everybody knew that he had sold and he was going to be speaking. And it was like that electric sort of feeling. That, and I think things like that inspire you. Whether it's what I want to do, I don't know. But, you know, it's just like that seemingly... Well, I guess that was someone who was northeast-based as well, wasn't yeah. it? So someone within your own geographical area that's doing something that you're thinking, one day that could be me. Yeah, yeah. Then, um, I'll take the 20 million. Had, uh, had, a, had a farmer business. Um, used yes. to be uh, good friends with her. And then uh, she did fantastically well. And you know, you got Brian Palmer at Tharsis, who's a good friend of mine. You know, these businesses are, you know, just doing absolutely fantastically. I love seeing that journey. And, and similarly, people who pick themselves up when everything's gone absolutely to the wall and then somehow have the strength to get and stand back up and start again. I mean, amazing. Yeah, no, definitely, because it's not um, it's not a linear curve that entrepreneurs <laughs> take, is it? Not so much, no. no it's definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely a scribble. <laughs> and I think it's important to share that actually there is downtimes. And when you're running a business, you need to have role models that you can see have navigated those dips as well as the highs because it's very easy to talk and be open when you're winning so yeah, isn't it great I'm doing yeah. well but actually it's really important I think to open up and say that it's not all you know a straightforward straightforward journey how about for you Mo where where do you get your inspiration do you know it comes from different places I think I tend to be inspired a lot by women who have gone on to exceed expectations and excel. And that might be in the world of business. It might be in the world of sport. Just because actually it's hard to find really good examples of women that have scaled because you're statistically less likely to do so if you are female. And I can understand that because I am. Um, but when I look at someone like Sarah Davis, for example, what I love about her is she has scaled, but she is still relatable and real and you can still kind of see her values for her people, for her family and everything around her. And there's a lot of female role models who've been successful in business who actually I can't relate to because that's not what they show. It's not what they put out there. And I don't want to compromise on that either. So I go searching for women that inspire me to do more than is expected of women. And I loved Mimi Anderson from the last Entrepreneurs Forum conference, the one before last, just because she was a woman that started running in her late 30s and went on to excel 
in, in you know extreme running. No, I'm never going to go and, and do an ultra marathon across the Sahara. Special. You'll be surprised to know. Never say never. Um, no, I'm pretty much am <laughs> saying never. I do, I do jog, but I wouldn't do that. But you know what? What I loved was it was um, a really good example of someone to come, uh, a woman coming to something after having children a little bit later in life and absolutely excelling at it. And I just don't think there are enough good examples for young girls, young women to do that. But then I think my other inspiration actually comes from me. You know, I grew up in a background where we didn't have any money. We were the poorest family on the street. My background was just weird because I was moving between two houses. We didn't have the cars people had. We didn't have a colour telly. We didn't. We were last to get everything. I made my own monopoly. But we lived in a fairly kind of working class, middle class area. And I wanted what my friends had. I would see their cars. I would see their holidays. I would see their family Christmases and, and, and things like that. And I wanted it for my children. I wanted family. I, I wanted to be able to do those things. And so actually I get a lot of inspiration from that because that's what drives me. I want the things for my children and for me that I didn't have when I was growing up. And it's a huge part of what drives me forward. But I think strong women. There's a lady called Stacey Copeland, who was England's first Commonwealth female boxing champion. She's done a lot of speaking for us. She has a charity called Pave the Way now. We donate £10 for every job we fill to that charity. She's reaching out to children in deprived areas, people who may not have those role models or things to aspire to and show them that's different ways. And those are the kind of things that really kind of ignite my passion for anything, really. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be someone that girls could look at and go, do you know what? You can absolutely do this you can have your own business and you can grow it I just don't think there's enough of it and do, why do you think it, that is because there are a lot of women that have very successful business but maybe they're not putting their hands up and wanting to become role models it could well be I mean I think as a woman <laughs> it is harder sometimes to get things done you know and, and I've grown up in the world of recruitment where you might go to a networking event and there was a huge room of men and you couldn't really start a conversation it, it was really difficult to do and in that sector that I grew up in you know the women that did really well they were tough women like <laughs> you know they were tough they sacrificed family time they didn't manage in ways that I wanted to manage and I just think there was a way maybe that you had to be to succeed it isn't like that now but even so a lot of those people that are at the top of their game I can't relate to them you know they're brilliant at what they do but I don't look at them and think I, I want to be that. And I think if you think about young girls coming through, there's a lot of role models out there from reality TV and, you know, high profile um, images that kind of say you've got to be one way. It's it's really hard, I think, for a woman owning a business to break through that. If you, if you look at Sarah Davis, because I am a big fan of hers, but I was a huge fan of hers before she went on Strictly, <laughs> before she was on Dragon's Den. But until she landed there, most people in the UK wouldn't have known who she was as an entrepreneur. I knew from the Northeast. But how would those girls have come across her if she didn't put herself out there? Well, not everyone's confident enough to go on Strictly or be a dragon, you know? We're just not. So how how, how are they getting exposed to these people? The, the thing, you know, it's, it's difficult to do, isn't it? It's really interesting because on a, quite a few of the previous episodes, we have talked about the topic has come up about kind of connecting school children with entrepreneurs and how sort of antiquated the system is of careers fairs it's just not you know it's how do we ignite the entrepreneurial spirit in people who might not have that in their family and it's it's quite a big it's a big question I think and I think yeah. young enterprise goes some way to that you know I loved it but I still didn't see that it was something I could go on to do 
yeah, it almost didn't connect. No. The, the dots did it for you. You did that, but then there wasn't anything to pull that through. So how do you think that we should inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs to come through? I think, from my, my point of view, I think Sally's got a good point there. You know, essentially, you need to be inspired at an early age. If your parents aren't entrepreneurs and they're doing uh, you know, a, a, a normal job in a big organisation, how do you get that inspiration to say, that's what I want to do? And, you know, I think getting into those schools, being able to do workshops with kids is probably the way to way to get it if they're not getting that inspiration from home yeah i i mean I, i'm a beaver scout leader so i spend a lot of time with, with young people doing that and i'm i've seen lots of articles recently about how scouting is a really good place for children to to get um, um, skills for employability yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um and yet when i speak to a lot of companies about what they're doing to reach out to younger generations they're not reaching out to these youth groups it's very much about going into schools and giving careers talks and talking about the type of jobs you can do i think uh, again that last conference we loved that one by the way with mimi anderson and um, serene livingston who, who i just thought was amazing because he was talking about changing the face of education actually this is a much bigger problem i think businesses can go into into schools and talk about it but look if I go in there's no seven-year-old or eight-year-old in the world that's going to be excited about being a recruitment consultant or um starting their own people data business I mean come on <laughs> you know they're just not I, I, um, I don't agree you don't agree and I think the answer to the question is actually quite straightforward how we inspire people is just by being the best that we can be mm-hmm. And setting an example, that's what a role model is. It's not about fame. Yeah, fame gets all the headlines. But, you know, it it was my dad that that made running a business something that I wanted to do. He wasn't famous, but I was close to it. I could see it. I could see the, uh, the joy he got from it. The challenge he got from it. So I think, I think it, it falls on all of us to be the best we can be. And, Tell that story, not necessarily on a podcast like this, but just by being the best we can be. That won't fire everybody up, but we don't want to fire everybody up. We just want one or two people, bit by bit, to take up that challenge. And it's strange what people find interest in. You know, so, so <laughs> don't write off. There is a magic in what you do, yeah. even if you're deprecating about it. Somebody <laughs> will see that as... Oh, that's interesting. Well, I, I talk from experience because as a recruiter, we have often been asked to go into schools and talk to children about, you know, interview skills and CVs. And I can just see them looking at me go, <laughs> they're just not interested. But but actually, I, I, I think it's down to how we're educating children. I think at that forum, you know, he spoke about how if you take people into a workplace from the Victorian era, they wouldn't, uh, wouldn't recognise it, but take them into a school, they probably would. And, and I've got a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old and... Um, you know, I, I see how they are outside of school and then I see them in school and the, to- the, the two worlds don't collide really, you know, in a lot of ways. Our education system does not reflect the world of work and life as it is. So how on earth, unless you have access to somebody or, you know, you, you, you are related to someone that has a business and you can see how brilliant that can be, how are you going to know? You know, it's, mm. it, it just doesn't inspire that, does it? It just doesn't. It's been interesting on this podcast because there's so many entrepreneurs said they it wasn't necessarily their parents. It could have been the parents, but there was someone 
a family friend who had their own business. And it might be, oh, there was my family friend, Mo, and she was the beaver leader and she had her own business. <laughs> and they'll have taken something from that and it will have resonated yeah, exactly. and it will pop yeah, back up at a later never, line. We never know how far those ripples are going to go. We never know. Exactly. You might be in some of these memoirs uh, sort of later on, go, <laughs> if it wasn't for that. Yeah. she taught me how to navigate with a compass and read a map out and also <laughs> well, I, I personally I find you know people just fascinating and their own individual journeys and we've been asking people if you could go and be a little fly on the wall in someone else's boardroom and I, I think that would be great if you could um, where would you like to go well I have to say I'd love to be sat in Twitter's boardroom uh, over the last few months so I think that uh, that whole takeover and taking this behemoth of a company and turning it around and trying to make money out of, out of that and the amount of money spent is just astronomical so I would love to have sat and seen all of that go because uh, it's, it's you wonder if it's like really calm in the boardroom don't you or if it gets really quite heated um, just having that's it you've no idea but uh, yeah I think I, I thought about that and just yeah it's just mind-blowing I think there'll be a few flies from this podcast in there because <laughs> a couple of people have already mentioned that so oh, yeah. <laughs> how about you Ian is there any way you'd like to go and have a nose in uh, all sorts of places I mean I, like you know, I'm fascinated by people I'm fascinated by business uh, and it wouldn't necessarily be be the boardroom I'd want to sit in. I'd like to sit in the senior leadership meetings of, of any company that I admire. You know, what are they doing that's so different from what everybody else is doing? It's, you know, it's a bit like trying to understand how the best football team in the world operates that's different from Hartlepool United or Newcastle United. It's about those levels of excellence. What is What really is the difference? And I think, I don't know about you, but I'd love to go into a, a senior leadership team of a really young team that are from a different generation to me. So yeah, someone yeah. who's been really successful, maybe it's like the Gymshark team or, you know, yeah. they're in their 20s and have created these mega businesses. They must yeah, be doing it sure in a slightly different way to perhaps how a business that's led by yeah. people in their 50s what, would operate. What, what's the, what's, what's different? the ingredient that's exactly, missing? Exactly, exactly. But you say I'm fortunate because I get to see all sorts of teams so I see how they how they work. And it's amazing that, that what works with one team doesn't work with another team, but what works with the other team may not work with the first team. You know, there is no, what's, what's the American expression, cookie-cutter solution to this. It, it really is about putting together a, a set of ingredients, maybe within a, a, a framework, of course, but how do we make it work? What's the alchemy? That makes that work. And are there and any all about people? Are there any ingredients that you've seen, Ian, with your experience of coaching the different businesses that you would kind of shout out as great examples? Um, there's a there's a general rule that's really front of mind at the minute, and it goes back to what what Chris says. It, it's about that that passion and about the determination. And I keep doing this, and you can't see it on the podcast, but I've got two hands counterbalancing well, and, and I go back to uh, that expression that, that, that Dame Irene Hayes said in uh, one, of the, one of the events that we had, I think in Middlesbrough, and she said, what was it? Warm heart and hard nose. Yeah. It, it is that, that, I call it a paradox. You know, and a great parent 
rides the paradox of, of, I believe, of loving their child unconditionally and at the same time supplying enough discipline and rigour. And there are lots and lots of paradoxes in business. Somebody once said that uh, the ability to, to a paradox is two conflicting opinions. Being able to hold multiple paradoxes in mind is a mark of genius. And I think as, as business leaders, there are lots and lots of paradoxes that we need to not balance because it's not this or this. It's both together, both and. Does that make some kind of sense? Yeah, so absolutely. I, I, I think the ability to, to ride multiple paradoxes. And as the business gets bigger, that's one of the things that's more and more difficult. Yeah, and I guess once it gets bigger, it's not just the role of the leader to, well, to Mo, balance that. It's it's the responsibility of everyone in the business to, well, Mo, to do Mo that. put it perfectly, didn't she, when she said, well, if it's three months, we kind of we all know how each other thinks. But when it gets to 30 people and 27 of them are in different counties, that's a whole different ballgame. But that culture can still be managed. It can still be curated. Um, and that's the fascination of it all for me. And do you read books to upskill yourself? Mo, do you read so or listen to podcasts? Do you know what? I'm a prolific reader. I think, you know, when you run a business, turning your brain off is one of the most difficult things to do. There's always something to think about. You know, I'm constantly thinking about cash flow and people. And I spoke to this person today. They didn't sound as motivated as they usually are. And what's happening with this client? And what's happening with this job? And how am I going to do the marketing for my sake? And you never totally start. So actually, I read a lot of fiction and I don't read a lot of business books. Because the other thing with me is I'm a really enthusiastic person. So whatever I read, like if I, if I was to read a book by someone I really admired and they said, okay, well, I do this. And we all know this. We see this a lot by getting up before four o'clock every morning and going to the gym and working six hours before everyone else comes on and did it. Oh, oh my God, I should be doing that. I should be doing that. So actually, I've got to be really careful not to try and take too much in or I'll try and do it all. So business books. No, I'm sorry. I've got no great recommendations. But fiction, I could, I could sit here and recommend them all day long. <laughs> Ian, I know that you love to read, <laughs> and you gave me a list earlier this year of 27 books. Is that and all? Then it was, well, it was 27 on day one, but as we met, every time we met, you added another three or four yeah. to the list. Well, people that know me know I'm a prolific reader. And unlike Mo, I don't read fiction. I only read um, business books. I must have 2,000 in my library. Unfortunately, my library's in the garage now because I've changed offices. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm reading all the time. And to be honest, for me, reading provides inspiration. It is a break. I love, uh, but I love learning. You know, it's, it, it's, it's one of my things. And what's in your five-star review catalogue for the last couple of months? Uh, well, I picked up a book. To be honest, because I've had a change in lifestyle, lifestyle I'm not reading Um as much as I was. And I was out in the car the other day, which I rarely, rarely do. Now, this isn't a business book, but talk about inspiration. Uh, if I mention Kevin Sinfield, you know who yeah. I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Yeah. And yes. Rob Burrow? Yeah. Yes. And Kevin Sinfield's just released a book, which I got on audio. I have it to read. Called The Extra Mile. I kid you not, I was driving around North Yorkshire, tears streaming, me and the dog in the car, roof off, 
tea is, I mean, it was so inspirational. Absolutely. So that would be a definite recommendation. And I picked up one a couple of days ago. Well, it's been sat on my window ledge reading to be read. Uh, and it's called Limitless by a guy called Jim Quick, which is a, anybody come across it? I, have, I, have it. I, I never have. But it is about, I mean, one of the points he makes is, and this goes back to what we just talked about with education, uh, he said, if knowledge is power, then learning how to learn is the superpower. I just thought, bloody hell, that is, that is powerful. So I'm about 35 pages into that. And at the minute, that's definitely on the recommendation list. I must say, actually, I mean, I do read a lot of fiction, but I do read for inspiration as well, but usually not business books. So that I have sitting on a shelf at home to read, along with Bob Mortimer's autobiography, which was recommended on Twitter by Sharon Lake, who I've met through the forum. And um, I did read Mimi Anderson's book after seeing her at the conference. So I, I love reading life stories and I often take my inspiration from there and it's usually around determination or overcoming obstacles or resilience because that's where I find sometimes I need the most help I even took inspiration from the Netflix golf documentary recently it was amazing I don't even watch golf (laughs) and I can't play it because I get too frustrated but I love the fact that they they were talking about how they have to coach themselves and how they have to have this confidence. So you can find it, can't you, in different places. It doesn't uh, have to be business. And, and I think, Mo, if, you, if you're prepared to look, if you're prepared to see, there's inspiration everywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And how about you, Chris? <laughs> well, I think I'm, I'm more of an aspirational reader than a... Uh, <laughs> I've, got a I've, got, I've got quite a lot of nice books sitting by my bed. Uh, and I mean... Uh, yeah, time fe- feels difficult. Uh, I'm chairman of Children's Cancer North mm. as well, so that's like uh, you know, sort of like a fourth business that I run. Um, well, you must be inspired then by <laughs> the work you do for the charity. Absolutely, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The charity is going from strength to strength, and uh, we got through COVID um, reasonably well, and uh, we're having a record year basically. So uh, it's uh, it's going very well. Um, so yeah, that keep that that pretty much keeps everything topped up. If I want to keep fit, be a dad, be a husband. I know time is precious. <laughs> um, so how do you carve time out of that exceptionally busy life for the reflection and the thinking time? So I think things go in waves for me. So uh, you know, I won't proclaim to be a brilliant ops director, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I can I think of ideas and I bring them to the business and I'll get them to the point of launching the business and then I've got these great directors that, that as I say have been around now for, for many years and some of them are absolutely fantastic for ops and some of them are they just take them away and uh, and, and drive them some some of them, you know, they so I do I can get really, really busy and then I think, what am I doing? You know, the charity, the businesses, the family, the and it's like like completely overwhelming every sort of couple of years or whatever. Uh and then it all sorts of calms down, and uh, and then you know, sort of like now I'm in a bit of a phase where I can go and walk the dog in the morning, and then go running, and you know the operational teams are all set up, and everybody knows where they're going, and so at the moment I've got time, and then my mind starts thinking about what's the next thing is. <laughs> time sounds dangerous for you. It sounds like you just aim to fill it. There's a theme of dogs with entrepreneurs that we've had on. So, Chris, you've you've got a dog. Uh, yes. Ian, do you, do you Ed, mention your dog? I haven't mentioned him, but I'll name check him now. He's called Edwin. 
And he's Edwin the dog. Edwin um, the border yes, have You've got a dog as yeah. well. I, th- yeah. I think nearly every entrepreneur we've had on has got a dog. And the other theme was entrepreneurs talk to their dogs and yeah. use them. I guess if it's lonely at the top, they're using this lovely pet as someone to download to. Absolutely. That's probably right. Yeah. 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 Essential. Oh, so. Essential. <laughs> so essential recommendation. If you're thinking of starting a business, think of getting a dog. Yeah. <laughs> I can see a social campaign coming here yeah so if you weren't doing what you're doing now what would you be doing i would love to be a paramedic even even though i i love business you know in those early years when i wanted to be in the police i've realized actually that that probably wasn't the right choice for me because i'm a bit too soft so i think i'm not sure being a paramedic is less soft i I think with with um being a paramedic i'm actually really quite good in stressful situations i kind of come to the fore and i think you know people need your help in those situations whereas in policing you're not always dealing with people that need your help you you know um and so actually that's that's what i would do if i was going to stop and retrain to do anything now that that's what i would do interesting ian how about you if I want to, there's nothing else that I'd really want to do. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to stop this. If I had to stop doing this, I'd just find another way of doing it. I that, should have said that. That's simple. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> yeah, I think you know, as we talked about earlier, I think it probably would have been working probably in the aerospace industry. I mean, I was always always fascinated with aeroplanes and flying and I still still am you know it's just, it seems like such an incredible thing and uh, so I'm fascinated with flying and so I think I probably would have had something something some sort of job in that well I mean I was in it so uh, uh, I probably would be sunning it out in Florida still world class skydiver looking like a raisin <laughs> <laughs> 20 years in the sun. <laughs> Fantastic. And then just to wrap things up then, so if you were going to describe your life in three words, and these three words are hanging on the door of the old people's home that you're in at the age of 120, because Chris, you've developed some technology to keep <laughs> us well until that age. And, I think we're well on the way for that. Um, what the three words would be hanging over your bed? Oh, I think probably fun, crazy and hard work. Something like that. It's... Uh, the, probably probably the roller coaster of being an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, in a strange font. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't come in. <laughs> Ian? I think for me, uh, similarly, fun, exciting, scary, all in equal measure. Mm-hmm. So all the same size font for you? Yeah. I think I would say roller coaster, busy, and opportunity, because I love the opportunity of having yeah, a business. Yeah. yeah, that's what makes it exciting. It is. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your candid conversation. I've really enjoyed that. I can't believe that the time has just flown by. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Tune in next time for another exciting cast of entrepreneurs.